You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. I'm Vadim from Calm Frog Recording. And I'm Ben Hall from Dreamloud Studio. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing great, Vadim. What's up with you? What's new? Oh, well, I'm, I'm happy to be back in the studio. I, I recorded a couple of episodes outside of the studio, and I did not realize how much crappy slapback room effects most rooms have. Like, hmm. I, I, I was out of town, and I brought my SM7B. I brought my little cloud lifter that I plug into it. I had a decent interface with me. Oh, do you like that, by the way? I've been thinking about buying the cloud lifter? something like that. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's supposed to, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's a little device that kind of boosts the signal of a dynamic microphone. Because if you're familiar with like something like the SM7B takes a ton of preamp gain, right, to get a register a good signal. Well, with the cloud lifter, you can actually use a little bit of phantom power and it kind of buffers that signal and, and boosts it a little bit. So I like it, but I've been using it for forever. And I did recently uh, struggle with like a little mobile interface, not having enough phantom power through the USB. So I tried it without the cloud lifter and I had to crank my gain way up and it sounded fine. So <laughs> I'm actually surprised you're not using one because your um, your recorded signal is, is always so nice and strong and clean off of that uh, SM7B. I'm nearly maxing out my gain. Yeah. I think I out of I think out of 10, I'm at a nine on my Scarlet interface. Exactly. That's where I found I had to be. Yeah. So with the Cloud Lifter, I don't have to boost the preamp as hard. Um, and it, I do think it, it ultimately sounds better. I think it sounds nice. Okay. So anyway, what I the, the room noise, man, it was unbelievable. It made me appreciate recording in the studio more. And what I, what I will tell you, I did try. I have a D-Reverb plugin. Uh, from Isotope. Mm. I think it's actually called D Reverb. And the mm -hmm. idea of this plugin is you run a track through it and it kind of senses the room, like the early reflections from the room, and it tries to subtract them out. And it works pretty well. It actually works surprisingly well for dialogue, but there's you, you do get like artifacts to where like I would only use that if I absolutely had to. Like I would not feel comfortable. Yeah recording vocals and banking on that plugin. I can't even begin to start thinking about how a plugin like that would work. So just the fact it works a little bit to me is awesome. Yeah. And I Isotope makes some great stuff out there. Oh yeah. Uh, not a sponsor, but we would love to be a, a sponsor, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> so Well, that's cool, man. Um as for me, uh I have a puppy now. So that's kind of crazy. Yeah, talk about it, man. You don't you don't look like you've been losing a lot of sleep, but maybe the story goes deeper. I'm telling you what, dude. She's a great puppy, and she's going to be a great studio dog. I mean, she's <laughs> only four months old right now, and she'll go nuts like maybe two hours or three hours out of the day. Like really nuts. That's like not bad. I need to take you outside on a walk because you're going to destroy everything in the house and eat everything. But the rest of the time, she just loves to chill out. Like, she doesn't bark. She literally sits behind me 
on the floor on my carpet in my studio room and just listens to me do mixes. Oh, that's so awesome. I'm really encouraged. <laughs> yeah. So as long as she can like be chill for a full session, I'm going to be, when she's an adult, she's going to be a great studio dog. So, and this is something interesting to bring up too. So I've heard conflicting, I've heard two podcasts where they've talked about should you get a studio dog? And it was split 50-50 <laughs> where the one person said, don't ever get a dog for the studio. You're going to be spending more time on the dog than on mixing. And the other person said, it's such a great idea because it gives you like that kind of external thing to focus on. Like when you're meeting up with a band, like you've only talked online, they saw your studio and they want to meet up. It gives you something else to focus on instead of just the awkward silence of talking to each other. So I could see both perspectives and how like your dog's temperament and maybe how good of a trainer you are play really heavily into this. But all I have to say is I give my wife 100% of all the credit because she's really the animal person and not me. So well, I'm laughing because I, I know from talking offline that, that, the, that the dog was really mostly Eileen's idea. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. now you're justifying it. You're trying to justify it into your, into your studio craft. And uh, I like that. I think it's, <laughs> What's the dog's name, by the way? Kalua. Kalua. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's a good name for a studio You thought that dog. fit, and yeah. she's got like an alcohol-themed name going on for her animal. She has a, a dog back from where she grew up in Idaho that's named Guinness. Ooh, I love it. That's a good name for yes. a dog. Yeah. So we're, we're going for it. So yeah. you, got the, you got the Irish car bomb dogs. Okay. No, that's not Kahlua. That's <laughs> Bailey's. <laughs> yes. All right. So today we are talking about impedance. Cue horror music. Everybody's favorite topic. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to preface uh I want to preface maybe going into this by saying my wife Eileen, she asked me, "What are you guys podcasting about tonight?" And I began to explain to her my best analogies that I had for impedance and resistance in Ohm's law. And about 30 seconds into my explanation, she started yawning and I was very offended. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm hoping that uh our listeners are more nerdy than uh, my wife is, so I'm encouraged. But I think anybody who has played guitar or messed with studio speakers is interested in understanding, like, maybe not fully, like, what are ohms and what are ohms law, but what do I really need to know? Yes. Like, hook up my speakers and make sure I don't make something explode, or I'm getting the best sound that I possibly can. There's a lot of science here. I mean, we're talking about really electricity and how it behaves. And we're going to try to just give you the information that you need to know. But we are going to start as we like to start with a first principles approach. Or at least you can understand the concept of impedance. Okay, so let's get started with just a quick definition of impedance. Again, impedance is a term that applies to electricity mm -hmm. and specifically to alternating current. And what it means is kind of what it sounds like. To impede something means to slow it down or to stop it. Like if you think about the term, you know, to impede someone's progress is to like restrict their progress or slow their progress. And that's exactly what it means in the context of electricity. So if you think of something like, well, actually the first, first let's, let's I like to use this example of like a faucet. Right. So you have a faucet. If you open the faucet halfway, it has it restricts the flow some amount versus if you open it full way, it restricts it less. OK, so with the with the faucet fully open, your impedance, so to speak, is lower 
than with the faucet half open. And so with the faucet fully open and that lower impedance, you're getting more flow of water out of the faucet. And in an electrical circuit, that analogy would apply, the, the flow analogy would apply to electricity or electrical current. So for example, we're going to kind of work up to this example, but if you think about something like two guitar speakers and one is eight ohms of impedance and the other one is 16 ohms, well, 16 is bigger than eight. So all other things being equal, the eight ohm speaker will pass more current. But of course, that's that's an oversimplification. So does that, you have any analogies you like for this, Ben, to, to help us think about impedance? We want to focus on, like you said, the first, first principles approach. And we want to focus on the things that are, are most important. And I think a good way with starting about thinking about what is resistance is the higher the number, the more resistant your circuit or your system is to passing sound. So a simple way of thinking about it is higher the ohms, more resistance, less sound is getting through. Your system is more resistant at passing sound. Yes, with with some caveats there. So that this where that's a, I think that's a good starting point. I would I wouldn't say sound necessarily. Let I would just let's keep it at electrical current right now, which can be sound. It's our signal effectively, right? So that is um, where we're going to go because you're you're listening to this and you might say like, okay, well for my guitar. Oh, I guess let's let's back up even and talk about an electrical circuit. So an electrical circuit typically has at least two things. It has kind of a, a driving force or like an uh for think about like a battery, right? That's the driving force. It's providing some kind of electrical voltage that's trying to drive electricity through the circuit. And then it has some kind of load. Okay, so in like you might have like a battery with like a simple light bulb or something like that. The battery is the driving force and the light bulb is the load. And so this is going to be kind of how we think about this because we have um, something that's trying to push electricity through a circuit, and then we have something else, the load, which is trying to resist that push. Okay, and typically you don't want to have no load, for example, because that would be like putting your tongue on a 9-volt battery. You have no load and you just have electricity kind of flowing at its maximum capacity and that can drain a battery or blow up a tube amp or do any number of things. So short circuits are bad. So we need some kind of load. And this is where we get into like maybe you're you're listening to this and you're thinking like, okay, well, you said lower impedance on something like a speaker means more current flow. I want to play my guitar amp at jet engine volumes. So does that mean I want lower impedance? And this is where we're going to get into uh, this discussion of really, really, we want to have the appropriate impedance of a load for the appropriate impedance of whatever is driving that circuit. And the way the analogy I kind of like to use here is like a punching bag. Okay, if you picture like a punching bag, it's got it's kind of it's hard but it's soft and it's got a certain weight to it. If you if you had a punching bag that was made out of paper mache, it wouldn't be any fun because you would just punch right through it. But if it was too hard, if you had a punching bag made out of concrete, that wouldn't be any fun because you would break your hand. So a punching bag has that kind of perfect weight softness to hardness ratio and that's kind of like what we want to do. We want to match the load impedance to the driving impedance to get whatever we're trying to do out of the circuit. I maybe got a little ahead of myself because I'm not looking at my notes. So pull me back here. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I like to think about too is in, in the sense of the bad example that you gave, 
of, well, why wouldn't I want to have as low resistance as possible, the lowest homage possible, especially on a speaker cabinet, because you're telling me that lower resistance means louder, Ben. That's what you said at first, or more electrical flow. So you're telling me that if I pick a low enough resistance, I can plug in my very tiny amplifier and I can make really loud sounds out of this speaker. And the reason I like to think, and maybe you can pull me back here too if I'm saying anything that's wrong or off, but I think I'm correct on this. The reason I wouldn't want to do that, or it's a bad idea to do that, is kind of the same reason why if you're pushing a lot of electricity, let's just think of practical examples. If we're trying to power a car battery, if we're trying to jumpstart something, like I wouldn't want something as thin as uh, like, an, like an earbud cable powering all that electricity from one car amp or car battery to another. I would want something thicker. I'm going to overheat the wire. I'm going to catch something on fire. And I think this is equally applicable to audio gear and audio equipment. We're going to overpower something. We're going to heat something up. We're going to cause damage somewhere. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think, um, yeah, I mean, cables is a whole, a whole even different wrinkle to this. But you, basically what you're saying is correct. So you have some kind of amplifier, let's say, in this example. Stick with this for now. It's designed for some kind of load. It wants to push some amount of electrical current. And if you've connected a load that has less resistance, then you're basically pulling, you're, you're forcing the amplifier to do to push more current than it's comfortable doing and it'll get hot and it'll start doing bad things for you. So yes, that's one of the, uh, the considerations there. Okay, so I actually probably will get back to the speaker and amplifier example towards the end. I want to talk a little bit about some of our kind of, at the start of our recording chain, which would be like guitars and DI boxes and, and so on. Do you think that's a good place to go next? Let me think here. Let me think here. Because this is also like slightly confusing for me too at the same time. Like what is the difference between, and I'm not even talking for this to be live on the podcast. I'm just asking you. <laughs> <laughs> what is the difference between voltage and watts? Because I was just staring at my notes thinking about this earlier before we went on. And maybe this would actually be something cool to include in the podcast because I'm thinking through this out loud like somebody would that's trying to put this stuff together. The, the the analogy for voltage is is like pressure in a pipe. So oh, it's, it's the pressure. driving it's the driving force. It's like the electromotive force. So like like potential energy almost. Uh, yeah, yeah. The a larger okay. voltage source means it has the potential to push more current. Okay, that makes sense because that I mean that's always been so confusing to me when you look at when you look up all this stuff. If you just look at the formulas, you get lost in the weeds. But when you look at gear that's posted online it's always listed in terms of the majority of the time it's listed as this is your power or your watt rating on your amp and this is also your resistance rating those are pretty much the two things yeah and so impedance is more it, it, that's why it's a different beast because it almost it almost doesn't make sense to talk about impedance in terms of like uh, a driver because like what does that mean the right. driver is the driver how it can but so it has an impedance it's designed for it's designed to to have a certain impedance at its output if you picture you have an output on your driver device and an input on your load device the output on the driver device wants to see some kind of resistance there 
Yes. Okay. And then the same thing on the uh, the input device. And of course, the cabling in between the two just adds possibly some uh, like capacitance, for example. So it actually adds impedance to the circuit. That's cool. So the only other thing I'll mention there is that I don't know if you see this as much on guitar amps, but on both bass amps that I own, there's a flippable switch that you can switch impedance from. Normally it's four slash eight. Like at four or eight ohms, I can drive 400 watts of power. But then there's a switch that I can turn to two ohms, and that's where it drives the maximum wattage. But normally I don't do that because the speakers I'm connecting to have a higher ohm rating. So it's just important to take note of that when you're matching them up. Yes, and that won't blow anything up. But what that means, like a power amp, again, this is where we start to touch the limit of my understanding of it as well. But power amps have output transformers. And typically you can take, there's different like taps off of that transformer, which you allow you to switch the output impedance that the amplifier is expecting to see. But I like your analogy of, you mentioned the pipe before. Mm-hmm. You can think of like a device with high impedance is a small pipe. So you can't push as much flow through it. Whereas a device with a low impedance is a bigger pipe. Uh, but the analogy kind of falls apart because you know, like if you connect a really big pipe to your garden hose connection, nothing bad will happen. Um, but something bad kind of can happen in terms of amps as, as we'll get into. So let's, let's back off from the, the power amp stuff for a minute and go back to something like a guitar pickup. So if you have a guitar with passive pickups, that passive pickup device is basically acting like an inductor. What it means is we talked about this a lot, I think on episode two and and, uh, also the guitar episodes. When you pluck a string, the string is metal and it vibrates. It's vibrating in a magnetic field that's created by the guitar pickup. And because you have metal moving in that magnetic field, it's actually creating an alternating current that's alternating at the frequency of the guitar string and the harmonics. And that um, is generating a a small current that's coming out of uh, the guitar pickup. Guitar pickups are very high impedance. And think about that in the context of what we just said. It's a very kind of small pipe. Um, We can't push a lot of current out of a guitar pickup. Okay, so the current coming off of there is kind of very small. And so the problem people ran into early on in the days of, well, I don't know when this is actually came would about. That be, but would, they, would that be Fender or Les Paul? Uh, or before well, that? I don't know actually know the context of it, but I know kind of the anecdote, or maybe it's apocryphal, but the story is, you know, people were trying to connect something like a bass guitar directly into a mixing board. Mm. And it wasn't really working. And the reason it's not working is there's an impedance mismatch. And let's think about what's happening. So you have a very high impedance on the guitar or the bass pickup. And so the current coming off of there is kind of very small. And you're connecting that now to a mixer board with a very or a relatively low impedance at the input, which means that that input is designed to see a higher current, a higher electrical current. And yet it's not seeing it because the bass guitar can't really output that high of a current. And so you don't really get a good signal that way. Uh, you have to, again, you have to 
probably boost the preamp really high and the, the tone is going to change. And we'll talk about why the tone changes in a minute here. But so what they realized was, okay, there's an impedance mismatch here. And that's kind of the history of the DI box. A DI box or a direct inject box is designed to take that high impedance signal off of the bass guitar or the guitar and change it into a low impedance signal that you can then plug into something like a mixer board. Interesting. And that's what you see sometimes labeled on your interfaces or on the DI box itself. It'll say high Z and that's standing for high impedance. And Z is the symbol for impedance. That's right. Cool. Even though it's measured in ohms, that's that's can be a bit confusing. But the signal for the symbol for impedance is Z. So yes, I'm looking at my interface right now, and it has high Z inputs on it, which are designed uh, for specifically for those passive pickups. And what that means is, again, a high Z input is basically an input with it's a small pipe input so it's looking for a small flow which is exactly what i have a small flow of electricity coming off of the guitar so that then tends to work the problem you can well actually yes do you say um before we move on from there go ahead and give me give me your thoughts or any other things you want to add here so i've been talking for a bit here yeah that's cool i'm just trying to think through your example here so and as to why that wouldn't work to plug in your very high impedance guitar signal into a mixing board. And I'm, I'm thinking it's almost like a gain staging thing where you're having such a tiny little signal come into something that's expecting a big signal. It's essentially like dropping a, a grain of sand into the ocean and trying to measure that. Right. Okay. And so in the big scheme of things, it's, irrevel- it's irrelevant. You need something much larger to be able to see or, or to register. And maybe it's not that simple. That's part of it. The other part that starts to get a little more complicated is that impedance actually is different for different frequencies. And so this is where we get into, the, you may have heard of this issue of people describing like a tone suck on a guitar where like you lose sustain or you lose high end. And that can be caused by an impedance mismatch as well. And I'll mm. give you an example here. If you have a guitar with passive pickups, again, there's no kind of circuitry in the guitar. It's just the raw, you know, the string moves, it generates a small current, that current leaves the guitar. Let's say I connected that signal to my, forget even recording, I connected it to my guitar amp through a mile of guitar cable. (laughs) What would happen? Not a mile. Okay, let's say, you know, 20 yards of guitar cable or whatever, a lot of guitar cable. You can kind of think of that. That guitar cable has a capacitance and a resistance as well. So it's kind of adding impedance. And what happens is I've created this long kind of arduous journey for the electrons to take. And some of them don't make it. Some of them don't make it all the way. It's like so, the Oregon. It, I'm just imagining the Oregon's trail of guitar it cabling. Is, <laughs> it is. Some of the frequencies die of dysentery on the way, right? <laughs> so what happens is actually the high frequencies of that guitar tone, you know, I play my power chord because that's the only chords I know. And the higher frequencies basically kind of like short circuit within the cable. They don't make it all the way to my amp input. And so what that manifests like is a sound that's kind of lacking in high end and that's where you hear people describe this tone sucking effect and that can definitely happen and again it's kind of an impedance issue so we'll talk about some tips 
at the end here. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Like I would describe as like a like a tone suck, as caused by too high of impedance or too long of a cable, uh, like too long of a cable, or just yeah, some other issue that that yeah, impedance mismatch or whatever. Have you ever kind of thought to yourself, wow, this this doesn't this signal doesn't sound right, even though it may be like loud, but it, it something's missing from it. That is very interesting. I'm trying. I'm trying to think. It's hard for me to say. Like, I might not be a good data point on this because I'm a bass player. So you're not really looking for the high frequencies as much mm. from a bass. I can remember always, like, especially early on in my bass playing days, I wanted to look for the longest cable possible so I could walk as far across the stage away from my bass amp as possible. Right. And that is that is interesting. And maybe we don't want to get into the unbalanced versus balanced cables. But I always wondered to myself, why do why does it always seem like the quality cables always top out at twenty feet, and then you can buy mm. some cheapos that are maybe twenty twenty five and thirty feet long, but you have no problem finding a hundred foot long mic cable, and the whole reason mm. behind it is you have balanced versus unbalanced cables. Yes, that's definitely part of it. It's um, yeah. And and, and to, along those lines, if you have a guitar, and I think this is the case for your bass, if I'm not mistaken, you have active pickups in your bass, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Right. So for bass and for guitar, if you have active pickups, meaning you stick a 9-volt battery into the guitar, that has a sort of preamp circuit, that then is actually low impedance output. And so you can run much longer cable lengths with Interesting. active pickups than you can with passive pickups without getting that same tone suck effect. Okay, and that might be why I've never run into that live mm. before because I've only ever played with active pickup basses. I've never gotcha. had a passive bass. Gotcha, okay, yeah. And 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 a lot of people will, at least in the guitar world, I mean, famously, like, bare-knuckle pickups, are they only make passive pickups. They swear they sound better, and, and there's a lot of guitarists that will attest to that. But... You do come; they do come with these challenges of of uh, high impedance, mm. and and again, high impedance specifically high impedance circuits are problematic over long cable runs. So maybe before we get, I do want to talk about balanced and unbalanced cables a little bit more. Um, but we'll talk about a couple of tips here for specifically for guitarists and bassists that are working with passive pickups. And this is really just a summary of what we talked about here. One is minimize your cable length from the guitar to wherever the guitar is being plugged into if you have passive pickups. If you have active pickups, you don't need to worry about it as much. Um, another thing you can do is use a signal buffer, which is another way of saying you could uh, something like a DI box or like I use, it's called a Little Labs STD box, which is basically a signal splitter with some active circuitry in it as well. And basically that box is designed for, you run kind of this, it buffers your guitar signal into the small box. And then from that box, you can run long cable runs without any kind of additional tone suck. So that's something to look into. And I will try to play some samples of this if I can find them. I did have a friend who brought over like a really expensive guitar cable. I was really skeptical about this, but there was a tonal difference. Hmm. that cable versus a regular cable. So I'll try to play a couple of examples of that. Even if you and can't find the example, how would you describe the tone change? Um, and how expensive, how expensive are we talking? Like a $100 Megami cable? 
It was, I have to ask him on the exact amount, but it was like a really stiff cable. I think it was made out of really thick copper strands. And um, I would describe it as kind of a glassier, brighter signal. Um, last, My last thing here is that this is, again, we already mentioned this, but if the input impedance of your input device is too low for the output impedance of your guitar, you will end up with this loss of high end. And it's, again, for this reason that the input device wants to see kind of a, a, dev a device that's pushing more current and it's not getting it. That's a bit of an oversimplification, but just keep that in mind. You want the input impedance on your input device to be higher than the output impedance on your guitar pickups. This stuff is very confusing, though, or can be. It's hard to wrap your mind around. It is. And I think part of the confusion is this discussion of impedance um, and what it trying to reconcile what impedance actually means with how we use it in the audio world. And the thing is that you don't really need to understand exactly what it means if you know how to apply it. So if you know, for example, like we said, that as a rule of thumb, you want the input device's impedance to be higher than the output impedance uh, the, the output right. device's impedance, right? That would be like a guitar. The same thing applies to amps, except for amps, we really want to try to match the impedance. Amps are, you know, it's, it's even gets even way more complicated with amps because of the transformer and a bunch of other stuff that we're not going to get into. But the important thing from a practical application is that you, if you plug, first of all, you want the impedance to match. So your output amplifier, if you're plugging it into the, if you're plugging your speaker cable into the 16 ohm jack, you want to connect to a 16 ohm speaker load, yeah. whatever that looks like. So that's the rule of thumb there. But if you connect a speaker cabinet uh, that has a higher impedance than the amp, so let's say you have a 16 ohm speaker cabinet and you mm -hmm. connect that to an 8-ohm uh, amplifier, that's not going to break anything. You're okay. You'll be fine. You'll be okay. You may not get the full... You may not get the sound exactly as it's supposed to be. You'll probably be fine. I've done this by accident, actually, in a practice space. I brought my little lunchbox amp head, and I plugged that accidentally into the wrong connection on a, uh, on a cabinet, and it was fine. I didn't notice a difference. But if you do it the opposite way, if you connect a speaker cabinet that has a lower impedance, so you connect, let's say, an 8-ohm speaker cabinet to a 16-ohm amplifier output, now you can have a problem. Now you can start to overheat that amp, and basically you're put, making the amp push more current than it's designed to push, and bad stuff can start to happen. That's when you can, on a tube amp specifically, that's when you can yeah. start to start blowing tubes and stuff like that. When I think about the term resistance or impedance, instantly the thought in my head is I'm pushing against something, I'm resisting something, but mm -hmm. it's a little bit more complicated than this in like when we're thinking about circuits because what's really happening is when you mismatch those um, resistance loads, so you have, or I should say, you have a load that's at a lower resistance than your power amp, than your, your output device. What's happening not only is you have a lower resistance pushing, you have a higher suck from that input device. It wants to grab more electricity. And 
I don't know the exact answer to it, and maybe that maybe that's not what the purpose of this podcast is. Go listen to a physics podcast. But <laughs> but that's essentially kind of what's happening, and that's why it's dangerous. Is that your input device is wanting to pull that extra electricity out of your amp head that it's not designed to do. Mm. Yeah. So it's fascinating. I don't know the exact an- answer as to why circuits work that way, but I wanted to frame it also in that way because it's not just a resisting electricity. I'm not just resisting all the power you want to send me. I also desire to pull this certain amount of electricity. So that's why it's important in, in these cases to kind of match up things really well. And the way, another way to say, to even take that to the, to the logical extreme is like, think about something like a short circuit. In a short circuit, you have no resistance effectively, right? You've taken a nine volt battery, you put it on your tongue, your tongue has almost no resistance. So you get like this, this big rush of, of current. It's something similar to that. Like if you mm. think about what a short circuit is, a short circuit is just a connection that has very low impedance or very low resistance, right? So that's another way to kind of think about what's what's going on there. I have maybe a quick little story that kind of illustrates this point a little bit, although I might be opening a can of worms with a little little caveat here. So I remember when I was in high school, I had like three different combo bass amplifiers. And I was like, what if I hook them all up together? Like, <laughs> like this would be awesome. I could have this huge stack of amplifiers and I could have all of them, all of them going at full power. And <laughs> this is before I, I love knew this. It. I love this already. <laughs> yeah, keep keep this, going. And like, just thinking in my little high school brain, like I'm just adding all this volume together. That's the way I was thinking about it. And that's why, even though maybe this isn't the most glorious topic to cover, it's, nonetheless an important topic to understand like the power coming out of an amp and the resistance that it wants to see because i think i'll I'll tell you what happened and then i'll tell you what i think was going on and why this happened so i had a big wait wait, wait. first tell me how you how did you set it up how did you hook it up so in these combo amps and i think you could do this really with any combo amp but they're essentially combo amps are just pre-packaged heads and cabs put together. Right. So you could take them apart if you take apart the individual oh, components. No. <laughs> so what I was doing essentially was disconnecting the um I was disconnecting the like input um cable and I was running all these cabinets in series essentially. So I was having I was having like a line output going from one of my cabs. So it was all, it was simultaneously playing audio or it was it was playing sound out of the speaker but also sending some signal into the next speaker. But how what, what was the output from the first amplifier? Where was the output coming from? So the the output would be like a line output. So it would be like a DI line out kind so it of had, kind of thing. It had like an Oh, okay. Was it like an FX yeah. end type of thing? Not quite an FX. It was just like a line. I don't know what 
I mean, I'm trying to remember okay. back to what it was. Sure, but Maybe, uh, okay. so it has some kind of line output, and you would plug that into where, and like the directly the into input, the input of the next into the input okay. of the next amp. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so I did this for three amps in combo, and I went from the 200 watt amp to the 10 or the 100 watt amp to the 50 watt amp, and they were all made by Crate, and I just collected them. Actually, I borrowed them air quotes borrowed them from oh no the church i was going to and i just plugged them all in together because i wanted to see what would happen (laughs) (laughs) okay what wound up happening is not what i expected because all the volume coming from the largest amp essentially got cut in a quarter i was like there's no volume coming out of this and then the tiniest amp the 50 watt amp that i stacked on top was so loud. It was like maxed out, super highest volume it possibly could be. And I'm like, I don't understand why this is happening. The biggest amp should be pumping out the most volume. I want them to all push out the max amount of volume that each of them can. Like I wanted, yeah. I, I wanted this back to the future, like Marty McFly moment in my bedroom is what <laughs> I was looking for. <laughs> I love it. There's so many things wrong with that that i don't even i don't feel comfortable even dissecting it but i love that you tried it yes but (laughs) assuming you didn't break anything no i didn't break anything because i immediately unplugged it because i was like something is drastically going wrong and i don't know what it is you were plugging a line output effectively into an instrument input so you had a huge impedance mismatch there already so you know what I mean? Like that yeah, yeah. that amp input is expected. It's not designed, like, it's, not desi- it, it's not designed to see Yeah. That. So I don't even I don't even know, man. I don't even know what would happen there. But yeah, you gotta be careful with uh with that kind of I'm glad nothing bad happened. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad too. Also also th- those are probably solid state amps. They're not tube amps. No, they weren't tube. No. Yeah. Solid state amps I think are a lot more forgiving uh with this sort of witchcraft that you're trying to pull here <laughs> i think they're more forgiving than two bamps um in general so okay maybe maybe nothing we could actually learn from that but a funny story nonetheless and i love it i i guess if nothing else it um it kind of shows that like this stuff isn't as simple as just plugging and playing everything into one another like <laughs> the, the way the way the circuits are designed to work are in tandem with like the speaker and the the amplifier. Like you can't you can't just power like a random assortment of speakers together. That's the other like crazy thing that we didn't even get into this episode is powering multiple speakers from the same amp. Because I know that that's something you can. Yes, that's something um, you can even do too. I don't know if you want to touch on that at all. Yeah, we can we can touch on it. I mean, there's there's math. You could you could look up the equations. Basically, there's two ways to connect loads, and you could you could draw this out in a circuit very easily. But one is in series. So if you picture you connect your uh, amp to one speaker, the plus you know the plus of the amp to the plus of the speaker, and then the plus of that. Uh, to the minus of the same speaker and then the plus of the second speaker and the minus of the second speaker. So you have these two speakers that are connected in series. And if you're connecting speakers in series, you just add the impedance. So if I can, if I have a four ohm speaker and I connect it in series with another four ohm speaker, that's eight ohms of load. Okay. If the other way to do it is to connect those speakers in parallel and parallel you have the plus of the output 
going to the plus of one speaker and the plus of the second speaker. So if you were to draw this on a diagram, the speakers would kind of be next to each other instead of one after the other. And there, the equation is a little bit different. It's actually a more complicated equation than this, but in, uh, for, for in this example, you would actually be uh, having the, the, um, the total load. So instead of having uh, each speaker is four ohms, you would get a total a load of two ohms if you connected mm. those in parallel. parallel. I got to double check that. I know the equation, but... I think that's right. Let's see. The parallel is the parallel's harder to remember, but the series is easy because if you think about it, you're connecting them both next to each other in, in kind of this circuit. So you're doubling right. the resistance that it's seeing. But you would think that the parallel would be the exact opposite, but it's not. It's that weird formula. Yeah, the formula is um, one over the impedance equals one over the impedance of the first speaker plus one over the impedance of the second speaker. So you can do the algebra on there, but what I said was correct is basically if you have a four-ohm speaker and you connect it in parallel with another four-ohm speaker, the load on the amplifier is four divided by two. So it's two. Ohms. Oh, okay. Okay. And that's how that equation works out. Yeah, and... I mean, honestly, you're probably very little listeners are going to to need to know that. The only the only time I would ever need to do that is if I wanted to connect my my power amp. And I maybe sometimes would think about doing this live if I wanted to connect two different speaker cabs, mm. which would be cool. I could have on either side of the stage instead of sound coming from one mm. cabinet, you could split it up on maybe either side of the drum riser. That would be cool for a bass player. Yeah. But but it's important to it's important to understand like how you want to connect those. And you can you can look this stuff up online. I think there's pretty easy calculators to figure it out. Yeah, complicated topic, but again, it doesn't have to be. You don't you can see even we're like struggling talking about this, but the important thing is to remember that impedance is a thing that you need to be concerned about, especially when talking about power amps, because you can actually break something. And just remember those couple of tips that we talked about here. If you have any questions, <laughs> email us. We've got Vadim at DIYRecordingGuys.com and Ben at DIYRecordingGuys.com. We want to hear from you guys. Yeah, we'd love to hear it, guys. And don't forget, too, if you go to our website, DIYRecordingGuys.com, click on the link there. You can sign up for a free coaching call with Vadim and myself, and we'd love to talk to you guys. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Ben, anything else to add here? So, uh, you know, as always, we ended up getting a lot of time out of a topic we thought was going to be quick, which is yeah. uh, our MO, no problem. <laughs> All I want to add is that, like, I just love talking about, like, honestly, and I think you can both hear our engineering nerdiness come out whenever Vadim and I talk about this. Um, I love talking about and, and trying to wrap my mind around these more complicated physics um questions and stuff like that so i know we probably dove more into this than maybe a lot of people are interested in but i hope that through listening to us struggle through this conversation that you've maybe learned something that you've never thought about before and uh you know it in some ways i think the journey is is part of the part of the prize and so i i just yes. kind of love going on these these mental journeys to try to understand the world we live in a little bit better and if any of you are feeling overwhelmed by this stuff or not, like 
I have a degree in chemistry and Vadim has two degrees in engineering. So we're both, we both really struggle sometimes with putting this stuff together. So it's not easy concepts. And I can even remember when I took physics in college, the, the electrical physics was like the hardest thing for me to mm. wrap my mind around. I read the other day that uh, it was like a meme or something as somebody said, every, every electrical device is a smoke machine if you like <laughs> plug it in wrong or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. It's so true though. Yeah. So true. Well, that, that was a beautiful thought, Ben. I like, you know, that you're, you tied in trying to understand the world, even though we're a DIY recording podcast, I share your sentiment there. So until next week, we remind you to check yourself or you wreck yourselves. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com, get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording, or shoot me an email, vk at calmfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email, ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. I'll see you next week.